Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 3, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. Volume 3 of 6 begins at the local fair, where enemies meet a shocking end, and Capitaine Laroche follows Ali to find Livia, Atia's sister. Betrayals lurk at every turn, and a disastrous fire erupts, leading to a punishing chase through the city. Will Atia and Capitaine Laroche make the escape from Port Royal to Dr. Strangeway's plantation? And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 3. Walls have ears, doors have eyes. A refreshing breeze came from the water, diffusing the intense heat of the day. The brilliant orange sunset cast Port Royal into a mantle of light. Waves of fairgoers crowded the streets and filled the Wherry Bridge. Live entertainment and hundreds of vendors enthralled the masses. From the alley door of Cherry Red's boutique, Capitaine Laroche emerged dressed in a dark suit with a tri-cornered hat. A false nose and a stringy ginger beard stuck to his face. Still injured from the shipwreck, he assisted Adia Crisp into Dr. Strangeway's enclosed delivery carriage. She wore a simple cotton nightdress that clung to her curves, giving Laroche an eyeful. Thank you. Adia flipped her long red hair over her shoulder before massaging her ribs. Je t'en prie, he flushed, draping her in a knitted blanket. You are welcome. Don't worry about anything. Just try to stay comfortable. Laroche climbed into the driver's seat and caught his breath. Lily Waters wore a pink silk shirt and cream bodice with gold buttons. She sat down next to Adia and withdrew a small brandy bottle from the bodice. Both girls took a generous mouthful. Laroche steered the horse forward a few feet to keep lookout. He glanced back at them. Not too much of that, huh? You need to keep your wits about you. Lily took another sip before he reached back for the bottle. That's enough. Give me that. Lily surrendered it and gave him a dirty sneer. Oh, fine. He turned back to the street and finished the brandy. Another delivery carriage neared, driven by Miles Gladstone, Dr. Strangeway's assistant, who tipped his hat to them. Okay, this is us. Laroche snapped the reins and they drove up a lively Thames Street. They followed Gladstone to a busy loading bay just off Honey Lane. In a dark stall, Laroche stopped to observe. People bound in chains were dragged off the slave ships. What is this? he muttered. The slave fare, Capitan. Lily climbed through the front window onto the driver's seat beside him. Gladstone approached with strange ways. Aye, to boost support for the slave trade, they turned it into a fare. Ships have been arriving all week from the Americas with dealers and buyers. They're awaiting the slave ships, strange ways added, two of which are overdue and presumed lost in the storm. Lost? Lily was horrified. How many people? The doctor shook his head. Hundreds. Lily and Adia shared a sickened glance. It's not the only driving force behind the economy. One's status in society is determined by one's property, slaves included, Strangeways snarled. Our species has and always will be the most loathsome of creatures. He glanced at Lily and extended his arm. With noted exceptions, of course. Shall we, my dear? Lily took his hand and hopped down. Strangeways examined Laroche's costume. 
I didn't know I employed any rabbi carriage drivers. I approve of your attire, Capitan. LaRose scratched his chin. It had been many years since he had a beard. First time for everything. At the Swiftsure entrance, a wearyman's carriage pulled up, dropping off Violante Hayes. She wore a new dress of rich plum, gathered panels cascaded over the underskirt, and the gold-button bodice had frilled sleeves. Her dark hair hung in ringlets. She waved to Lily and the doctor. Strange Waves offered V his arm. I must say, both of you look ravishing. V felt her face redden. Evening, doctor. He escorted them inside. If you'll excuse me, ladies, duty calls. Strange Ways smiled before climbing the staircase. Whoa, where'd you get the fancy threads? Lily asked. I went to Annabelle at the Merchant Exchange. It's beautiful. Thanks, you look beautiful yourself. Lily's face lit up and she leaned in. So it's really that big? Biggest white one I ever seen. They both giggled. I have to go find Nat and Cat, Lily said. I'll catch you up later. She kissed V's cheek and took off. V searched around to find a couple of Cherry's day girls and joined them for a drink. Patrons filled every inch of the main floor. They drank imported liquors, local brews, and the Caribbean staple of rum. The festivities overflowed onto the sumptuous patio, where trellises strung with flowers and colorful glass lanterns lined the promenade. V and her mates sat at a table behind one of the four large wooden pillars surrounding the bar. The pillars were etched with ships and other nautical motifs. V felt a pair of eyes burrow into the back of her head. A quick glance told her it was Constable Blower. He still held a grudge from when she refused him service. He'd been reeking of whiskey, and Cherry tossed him out on his arse. Ever since, he'd been deliberately rude to her at every turn. Hoping to lose Blower's glare, V excused herself and went to the bar to see Glenda for another honey wine. Blower cornered her. So it's only the rich old doctors that get your attention, eh? Excuse me? V retorted. Officer Blower, ain't it? He sneered. That's Constable Blower now. Well, me ladies and I be having a discussion not involving you. Blower leaned against the bar. All the ladies be across at the Four Feathers. There be no ladies here that I can see. None that would ever see you, I'm sure. V. eyed Glinda, who tittered to herself and poured another mead. Sheriff Tellum approached the bar hastily. I gotta go. Another Gator Gar sighting and two ships stolen from Turtle Crawls. Tartanus this time. You want me to come? Blower asked. Nay, stay here and keep an eye on things. V returned to her table, leaving Blower to stew in his hostility. Theodore Binge entered from the patio and advanced to the biggest table in the place. He removed the dealer's cards from a small wooden box and fanned the deck with a flare before picking it up to give it a good shuffle. Glenda approached with a mischievous grin and presented him with a bottle of brandy. Binge uncorked it and took a swig. Thanks. What's this for? No special reason. Oh, the auction's been delayed. Delayed, huh? Binge took another swig to conceal a smile. Now that's a shame. There's a rumor that the new slaves have scarlet fever. Seems that horrible little maggot and his two goons succumbed to it this afternoon. Her expression revealed pure satisfaction. 
Binge's eyes widened. Maggot succumbed? Really? Indeed. He turned inside out all over the bloody place. Oh, that's a pity. That would have been entertaining. They had a good laugh before Glenda returned to the bar. Binge noticed the slaver Burgle nearby, arguing with a potential buyer. There's no proof of that, Burgle said. Other than the ones that were already dead when they got here, no slaves have taken ill, have they? He sucked on a cigar and waved to his slave Fatima to fan harder. Well, no, the buyer agreed reluctantly. But why have it at night unless someone's trying to conceal something? Strictly for the festive atmosphere, Berkelin inhaled deeply, revealing his stained teeth. Your decision would be without merit at this point. Give it time. The auction shall be reopened. You have me guarantee. The patio door opened, and a grinning Jag Jane charged towards Lily, who swaggered after several shots of rum. Her scream caused everyone to stop and stare. Jane hoisted her up onto his shoulder before setting her back down to feel her bottom. Binge stared holes into the floor while his pulse pounded. He dabbed his forehead with a handkerchief before looking around peaceably and straightened his collar. Easy, man. Almost crapped me by suit. Absent-mindedly shuffling the cards, he eyed the patio. Well, I'll be damned. Tiny McAllister and Royal Rook entered. Tiny strolled to the bar where he towered over Glenda. What be your pleasure, Tiny? She ogled his wide physique. Wormwood wine, he replied in a sinewy voice. We got lots of that, sweetie. What have you got to eat here? I gotta eat something. I'm on the verge of going scurvy. Glenda batted her eyes. Well, the smoked turtle's good. There's turtle pie, of course, and a new bread from Italy called a pizza pie. Another bread from Italy? That won't catch on. The smoked turtle sounds good. Bring me three stones of them. Right away, sir, she winked. Rook approached the big table. A wide grin formed on Binge's face. Well, walk the plank. I thought it was you. Blow me down, Theo! Do I believe me eyes? You're still here. Rook and Binge shook hands. Still here? What happened to never setting foot in Port Royal again? Rook sighed. Tough times, mate. Tough times. And Tiny, how's he doing? Him? As always, crazy to be sailing with the likes of me. Rook snorted and scrutinized the card table. And you? Still playing cards for a living? This is recreation now. Cogsall pays me to deal. It's also the only tavern in town that lets me play. Rook rubbed his chin. I heard something like you got a title and you're a landowner now? Binge snickered. Yeah, well, sort of. You still living with the Binge beauties? They're worth staying in Port Royal for. Binge took a swig of brandy and passed the bottle over. You're doing well, mate. So what brings you into town? Not the fair. Rook flushed. Working for Art now, I am. Protecting his ships from pirates. That's unfortunate. Aye, that it is, Rook took a drink. Running slaves for King William's a brave new world. As opposed to King James's cunning old one? Welcome to Port Royal, the wickedest place on earth. In 56, 2,000 Irish children were brought here as slaves. A year later, not one of them was still alive. It don't matter who wears the throne out here. Binge emptied the bottle. We should talk. I'll get us another. Nay for me, thanks, Theo. I'm getting laid tonight, first and foremost. He glanced around. 
Say, you haven't seen little Katie, have you? Binge hesitated. You know Katie, mouth like a sailor, tits like a... Rook paused. Something happened to her. What then? Burgle cut her. He cut out her tongue. Rook hung his head. Ah, oh, bloody hell, I should have come back sooner. When did he cut her? Right after Art sailed, though all the girls are under his protection now. Jagged Jane did thank for that. He got Katie to dock McCaskill before she bled to death. Bloody bastards, why'd I leave her here? She was always mouthing off. She said something to piss him off. Nobody knows what, and she ain't talking. Where is she? Rook browsed around again, gutted. She's here somewhere, but between me and you, she may want to take up knitting for a while. They got it in for her. If you was planning on taking her away, I'd say the sooner the better. Rook patted Binge's arm. Thanks, Theo. Good to see you. I'll catch you up later, mate. He surveyed the crowd. Stick around, my friend. It's going to get interesting tonight. Binge pondered all the potential candidates for Strangeway's special blend. Cherry sat at the bar, deep in thought. She drank gin with a twist of lime, watching Violante with the girls. V's not getting out of this one. She needs to do her part. Cherry finished off her third drink in one swift gulp. She tapped V's shoulder and pointed to the cloakroom. Both women slipped behind the curtains. What's up? V began. Cherry held out a vial of poison. I need you to help us. V's face went blank for a moment. No bloody way. I need you to do this, Cherry insisted. You're a part of this group. V shook her head. Forget it. I ain't killing anyone. I know how this is going to end. You're opening a door that won't close till we're hanging from the gallows. You're as good as dead along with the rest of us if you don't. Cherry felt as if she was scolding a child. I finally got me a way out, and you ain't taking it from me. V crossed her arms over her chest. A way out? Cherry gave her a sympathetic smile. Your big dick just wants in, dear. He's not offering you a way out. You don't know that. Just because you're content to sit here with your legs open for every scallywag that comes into town? Cherry struck her across the face. Where the hell would you be without me? Answer me that. I found you in the gutter, bleeding out from a gangbang. You'd be dead if it weren't for me. I saved your fucking life, whore. You owe me. Cherry shook. Her own harsh tone shocked her, and she felt the prickle of hot tears. I'll be out of the house by the morrow. What? Cherry's tone softened. I didn't mean it, V. Where the hell will you go? Who cares? V sniffed hard and stormed off. V, come back. He doesn't love you. That's what men do. Even the ones with hearts can't be touched. Can you be any more discreet? Lily entered the cloakroom. Where the bloody hell is she going? To a Cisterian convent, what do you think? Cherry was silent for a moment and drew a deep breath. It's just you and me. She removed the vials from her bodice. No, it ain't. Lily stuffed a bottle in her hidden pocket. Katie walked in and reached for a vial. What are you doing here? Sorry, Katie, but you couldn't get within fifty feet of them without getting caught, Cherry said. You shouldn't even be up and about yet, Lily insisted. Katie snarled and pushed up her breasts. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Fuck you. Wait till you turn thirty. Cherry hissed. No, it's for Nat and Cat, Lily exclaimed. 
Katie applauded sarcastically. What did you do, take out an advertisement? Cherry handed her a couple of vials. Don't go near them. You'll all get a shackled in irons before we can even get close enough. Katie gave Lily's hand a squeeze and then darted out. She's going to get us killed. Cherry suddenly felt very cold. Can we do this? I, we can and will. Righto, then. Time to kill, Lily said. Tears streamed from Violante's eyes. She sat on a chair in the third-floor toilette of the Swiftsure Tavern, holding a handkerchief to her face. When she was twelve, V's father had given her as a payment on a debt to a gang of pirates. They'd dragged her screaming into an alley, where she was held down and raped. She'd passed out after the second assault. Never before had she felt so much bitterness, betrayal, and humiliation. V was semi-conscious when Cherry pulled her from the alley, leaving a bloody trail. That's when Dr. Strangeways entered her life. He drugged her, stitched up the wounds, and gave her a place to rest. It took such a long time to heal. She thought she would die from the pain, but the doctor helped her manage. He always made her feel safe. Cherry took her in and became the only mother she ever knew. She educated and toughened her up. Survival skills were critical for women, especially in Port Royal. V learned to defend herself and carried a bodice dagger. She also learned how to remain in control of a conversation, not taking anyone's cheek. Never again would she let herself be hurt or controlled by men. Then along came Captain Richard Longstaff, a man with an infamous reputation. V stared into a cracked mirror. Her eyes were puffy and her cheeks red. Was she being used by him, or could it possibly be love? Or was she succumbing to lust for the first time in her life? Her sexual encounters had never been pleasurable until now because of her injuries. Somehow Longstaff had figured out how to handle a woman tenderly but firmly, and he was bloody good at it. Oh, who are you kidding? Don't be so daft. She dried her eyes and took deep breaths. When her courage returned, she opened the door to see Strangeways nosing about. She was about to speak when Mina Jacobs came out of one of the rooms. Mina was a piece of work, a buxom brunette with a cruel temperament. What you be looking for, mister? Mina spoke in a muddy drawl. I'm looking for the indentured Irish girl that was brought in yesterday. She's to be quarantined, the doctor explained. You mean the pikey girl? Yes, have you seen her? Aye, Mr. Cogsall has her locked in the room behind his office, but no one's allowed there without his permission. I understand. I'll take it up with Mr. Cogsall. Right, you do just that. Mina retreated down the hallway, passing one of Bleedenart's thugs, Stinger, on the stairs. Doc, Stinger called. McCaskill wants a word. Of course. This way. Stinger led him down a long hall to an office. V crept down the corridor, straining to hear raised voices. She slipped into the adjacent bedroom and closed the door. With her ear firmly against the wall, she listened. Cogsall sat behind his desk, relishing the barrier between him and the wigs. He finished a shot of whiskey from the bottle in his drawer and took out a cigar. He struck a match and puffed away, listening to Governor Piper carry on like a bemoaning crone in strange ways trying to talk his way out of everything as usual, at the same time costing him a bloody fortune. Piper stared down his nose at the doctor. 
You are the man who identified scarlet fever? I'm the chief surgeon, Sandra Strangeway, sir, at your service. And yes, they did show the symptoms of scarlet fever. To that I agree, McCaskill said. You realize we'll have to destroy the entire lot if we decide it is scarlet fever. Burghill eyed Strangeways. You wouldn't. I'm merely being cautious. Twenty-four hours quarantine is all I ask. Mr. Cogsall's slaves are under observation, and so far all of the victims seem to be white. Magistrate Mould's jaw dropped. Are you saying this disease only affects white people? Then it must be the work of Satan, Piper added. Cogsall gnawed on the cigar. Yes, Satan. That's always the best explanation. Strangeways coughed. Excuse me, but at this point I'm only saying that the cause is unknown. It could be something in the food or water. The turtles may have some sort of disease we don't know about. Cogsall scratched his chin. Or worse, Satan's turtles. Strangeways here is a naturist. A naturalist, among other things. Strangeways addressed McCaskill. Incidentally, the other Irish girl will have to be quarantined as well. She is quarantined and has no symptoms. Her problems are all injury-related. She does have a nasty case of the flux, but everyone gets it their first time here. Where are the slaves that were exposed? I have them under quarantine at my apothecary. You took my Negroes? Cogsall snorted. What the bloody hell gives you the right? As chief surgeon of Port Royal, I have the authority to detain and quarantine anyone posing a risk to public health, Strangeways replied. Can I see the girl? Nay, McCaskill said. She's my patient, my responsibility. There was dead slaves on both ships. What did they die of? Piper asked. Cogsall shrugged. There always are. Some just don't make the trip. Twenty dead slaves on the galleys, which is well below the average, Burghill said. Until you factor in the other ships, of course. How many slaves die on an average trip? Piper asked Art. Don't look at me, Art's eyebrows furled. I don't even believe in slavery. I'm just out to make an honest living. It varies, McCaskill folded his arms. I've seen losses that range from 30 to 100 percent. Cogsall's slaves, are they at risk? Do they show symptoms? I don't know. Perhaps if you shine my crystal balls, you can see them. Strangeways smiled politely. Like that, wouldn't you? McCaskill turned to the Whigs. Gentlemen, the huge scarlet fever outbreak of 89 has claimed three lives. Now I think we can safely move on. In my opinion, Dr. Strangeways is incorrect. There is no risk to public health, and the slaves are cleared for sale. You will return Mr. Cogsall's Negroes to him unless they show definite signs of infection, Piper said. Art tapped Stinger's shoulder. Send the new boys over to his apothecary to pick them up. No need. I'll send my carriage straight away, Strangeways said. Piper sighed. Very well, then. Reopen the auction. Cogsall's shoulders relaxed, and he marched to the small window and stuck out his thumb. About bloody time! A cheer erupted from the crowd outside. Now, what's being done about the Frenchman? Piper asked. Five hundred thousand should be a high priority. V pulled away from the wall, her eyes huge. Five hundred thousand? I could start a brand new life! Someone struck a match behind her and she jumped. Sulfur penetrated the air as Edmund Cogsall lit the wall sconce and then his cigar. Hear anything of interest? Mr. Cogsall, I was just seeking the ladies' room. Edmund faintly sneered. You do look like you're about to piss yourself. 
I wasn't meaning to. To eavesdrop? Her face felt hot. I didn't mean to. I was searching for the Irish girl. Lily wants to know what happened to her. She's not here. V swallowed hard. No? McCaskill had her moved. Do you know where? Edmund signaled her to be quiet. The men next door entered the hall and shuffled past the bedroom door. If those ships can carry 500, then damn it, ship 500, Piper insisted. That's senseless killing, Art protested. Most of them would be dead before they got here. Then it goes to the insurance company and everybody wins, Mold chuckled. We can up it to 300 with an acceptable loss, as long as advanced sales can be assured, Berghill's voice carried. Shadows paused at the door. Cogs all knocked. Ed, I'm going down to play cards. V clasped her hands together. I'm going to the gallows when I ain't done nothing. Thanks, Cherry. Right, Edmund replied. I'm staying in. Not feeling all too well. Suit yourself, his father replied, and the group carried on down the hall. She sighed. Thank you. That gives me free service for the rest of your life, doesn't it? I guess it does. McCaskill's staying at the clubhouse. He had her moved to the loft so he could keep an eye on her. You'll find her there. V gave him a peck on the cheek before he pushed her shoulders down. He opened his trousers and pushed his member into her mouth. You're welcome, Edmund said. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, Volume 3. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.